join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. This Sunday, this third Sunday of Advent, we are lifting up the gift of joy. And I have to tell you that joy has always been elusive to me for much of my life. I wouldn't say that now, but definitely historically for a very long time. And the image that comes to mind for me is a carrot on a stick. You know, it's sort of like just beyond reach, always striving, never quite getting to the reward. I don't know who decided that a carrot was a reward, but um, either way, you understand the image. Being told to be joyful or the expectation of being joyful was akin to being told to smile as a child. You know, I've learned that you really don't know a person well until you can spot their fake smile. Smile. <laughs> or when you're confused, like, I think I should smile to lighten this moment up. There's nothing like a genuine smile. But we have a lot of versions, and check your photographs when you go home. You'll see your different smiles. And I love being able to see that as well. Because I think what we're aiming for is to create a space where you can just be who you are and where only genuine smiles will be shared. I think that's a piece of joy. You see, it took me years to recognize that experiences of beauty or delight or deliciousness, experiences of genuine smiles and sometimes tears and laughter are all connected, can all be connected to joy. I found myself saying, oh, that's what joy is. Oh, okay, I do know something of joy. If you can laugh at yourself, you will never cease to be amused. <laughs> and I think that's a part of joy as well, is learning to laugh at ourselves. The backdrop to today's scripture appears to be where joy is absent. Isaiah is speaking to people who have been forced out of their homeland, people who have experienced the wounds of armed conflict and they bear the marks and misery of captivity. The images of people fleeing Ukraine come to mind for me. Perhaps other images are coming to mind for you. Whatever it is, these are a people who were forced out by the dangers and the perils that were created by violent domination. And Isaiah's audience is in the wilderness. Now, 
This is not an intentional or planned time in the back country to experience life off the grill. Grid, grill. <laughs> if you can laugh at yourself, you will never <laughs> cease to be amused. So this is not about life off the grid on purpose, but rather it's a metaphorical wilderness. It's a fearsome place, a place of struggle and suffering, a place that pushes limits. I don't know if I can do this another minute. The metaphorical wilderness is an in-between place. It's not where you came from, and it's not yet where you will end up. It's the space in between. It's in this in-between space that the people are met with words of promise and restoration. They're met with words of future joy. So here are these words from Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. God will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, and this is my favorite line, not even fools shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Ancient words, ancient wisdom. If you've never seen the desert in bloom, we have two images to share with you this morning. Both are from California. These are called super blooms. Let's see the next one, Karina. The next one is a desert. I wonder if the prophet Isaiah had ever seen that, to be able to announce it in such a vivid way. Restoration 
is not a singular act of returning something to its original place. The idea of returning to a specific place, I don't think is always very helpful. And it's certainly not a requirement. Sometimes there is no going back. And that longing to return may be a deeper longing just for a place of home. And I think that place of home is what our God is inviting us to in a word of restoration or even being saved. Restoration also pertains to the return to a previous condition, perhaps of health or rebuilding. But again, that is not always possible. So restoration, again, is a new place of home, to be at home in your body that doesn't do exactly what you want it to do when you want it to do anymore, if it ever did. How precarious health is. There's also an element of returning something to the owner, and I think this is a critical piece of restoration, where the agency and the empowerment of those who have been held captive is returned. That's something that must happen, regardless of the location or the physical state. Here's what that might sound like when agency and empowerment of the place or the people who have been held captive is restored. We'll start with an easy one, and it has to do with the earth. So let the earth take the lead. Informing those, let the earth inform those who tend to the land to consider the earth a partner with voice and vote not just in the room, voice and vote, because the earth does speak. You know this. And it also needs a vote. And now when it comes to people, let those who have lived in the wilderness of forced captivity and domination take the lead with voice and vote. In fact, let them be the leader without the fear of retribution or being cast out again. This is not always easy to hear because while each of us may have our small experiences of being in the wilderness and some even greater, I think for the most part, Restoration requires us as captors and bystanders to take a step back. Depending upon the degree that you know what it means to be held captive, the less you know about it, the more you have to step back. And this stepping back and giving voice and vote and leadership 
creates a way of life that honors those who have been harmed, deeply harmed, generationally harmed. And it's a way of life that honors God. So if we're going to worship God, this is what has to be done. It says God's going to come in with recompense and do this. But we're not going to be bystanders that time, this time. We're going to be in the room, and we're going to step back, and we're going to listen, and we're going to learn. We're going to learn to listen and listen to learn. And this experience, that way of living, is marked by joy and singing. And it might be a song we don't know. It might be a new smile we've never seen. Desert blooms and rivers aplenty. A highway where not even fools will go astray. There's no better reassurance for me. And I want to also just add one more thing, that the promise of future joy can also be misleading because there is also joy along the way. It might not be a super bloom. Maybe it's just one bloom. It is that first little poke of green that we see in the spring, even if we know that snow is still likely. Because I think joy lives in the present. We might have memories of joy from the past. We might have hope for joy in the future. But joy lives in the present moment. Psalm 30 says, Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the dawn of a new day, the dawn of a new way, the dawn of another way. Joy and grief, joy and struggle, Joy and uncertainty can coexist. They are not mutually exclusive. One does not deny or betray the other. Mary Oliver says, Joy is not made to be a crumb. Don't be afraid of its plenty. Our reading today says, Joy is right here. And Diane has prepared some remarks for us about her experiences of joy. Good morning. I'm Diane Groff, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Don and I have been members of this church since 1984, a long time. When Sarah asked if I would speak about joy, how I experience it, I said yes. Um, and I immediately thought of our newest family member, one month old granddaughter, Aurelia Maeve, uh, which translates to golden joy. And I look forward to sharing with her my motto, uh, and that's what I'm gonna speak about, moving through space and slipping through time. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna talk about running because running has served in many adventures and most importantly in my healing and redefining myself after my second breast cancer diagnosis 21 years ago. In fact, it was at my lowest point in my cancer journey getting the second diagnosis and by leaning on the love and support 
of my church community, family, and friends. It helped our family navigate what felt like a free fall. It was in this sanctuary on December 26, 2001, that found me expressing my sadness and grief in a visceral and powerful way. A small group of friends and family, we gathered in the old fireside um, room, <laughs> and uh, they were providing support and we were doing some important aspects. I was very thankful that we could do that the night before my major surgery. And midway through our time together, I left the group and I was alone and came into this darkened sanctuary and I needed to let all, out all the pain and, and be open to receiving. And I had a three-foot megaphone. I was an Odyssey of the Mind coach. And I stood at the back and I yelled my prayer, <laughs> which um, those who were in the other room could hear. It was a pretty powerful experience. And then I sat down in quiet and opened my heart um, to uh, the next steps. And I rejoined the group. And uh, we sang, let it be. And then um, I sailed into surgery the next day, knowing that, well, my cup was overflowing and my family had the support that they needed. I'm very thankful for that. Well, the most important running experience I then had was April of 2002, three weeks after my last chemo treatment. The race was a qualifier for the Boulder Boulder, and we ran laps around the old Crossroads Mall. Um, no one was shopping there anymore, so it was a good place for a running event. And when I was at the start line, I had my head wrapped in a bandana, and I didn't know if I was going to have to bail out from side cramps or just not be able to do it. So I started off conservatively. And with each mile, I could run faster and faster, and passing Dawn on lap two, I had a big smile on my face. And, and then when I leaped across the finish line, I knew I was going to be a thriver as a survivor. And I was able to literally land on my feet and take off running again and experience that joy of running. Um, I, I have been running since before there were Nike waffle shoes, so I've been running a long time. <laughs> Um, and I want to share, I want to savor a few distinct running memories of recent. For 12 years, I uh, did snowshoe racing up at Eldora on Wednesday nights. And uh, about 40 of us would head off into the Nordic trails with headlamps. And um, on windy nights, which there are many at Eldora, um, we, sometimes we would be running with the wind and my headlamp would illuminate my breath and so I'd have this vapor cloud and I would literally, I would run through, I would catch my breath. I thought that was pretty special. <laughs> and then um, my spirit was fueled and still is when hooting and hollering, hollering in the nighttime woods and getting responses back from other athletes. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And, um, a running experience that is near and dear to me, and I'm so thankful for it, occurred with my daughter in Portland at a race for the cure. And uh, being both a runner and a cancer survivor thriver, uh, surrounding myself in the running community and with other survivors is very healing for me. Uh, the competitive running race was to line up first and took off first. And with the Nike running community nearby, I looked around like, these are fast people. So I stood back a ways and we took off and, and uh, it was my fastest 
5K that I've ever done. It was over before I knew it, and I felt like the earth was throwing my feet back up to help me run. It was an amazing ex running experience. Well, immediately after the race, Marilyn and I walked the Walk for the Cure, which covered the same course. It is the only time I have ever revisited a race course after finishing it, and what a perfect race to do so. To relive, relive the feeling of being fully alive was magnified by sharing with my daughter, who is both gracious and supportive in celebrating with me. That was double dipping on savoring a joy-filled experience. And then, in 2019, uh, my husband and I adopted a rescue dog, Ellie, and uh, she turned out to be a, a great running companion. And Ellie and I entered uh, several dog-friendly events, and I knew she was going to be great at running events. And then, in March of 2020, everything shut down. We had no more running events. So I discovered, though, that we could run from our house down to the Boulder County Fairgrounds. If someone would have told me, you're going to enjoy running at the Boulder County Fairgrounds parking lots, I would have thought, no. But there was nobody there, so that was great. And then Ellie grew to know what our path was um, down there. So there we were. And um, uh, one day, finally, in February of 2021, we saw at the fairgrounds signage going up about vaccination clinics. And it was very, very joyful. It, it felt full circle. So, um, the, my motto of moving through space and slipping through time has provided me with a banquet of experiences to savor with family, friends, and animals that fills my heart with joy. Thank you.